This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Total Saints podcast. If you enjoy measured conversation and opinion on all things Southampton Football Club related with an occasional outburst of emotion, then you're in the right place. It's the final run of games for Saints and TSP now, with the end of the season just a couple of weeks away. In that period, Saints have four remaining matches to cram in, starting with home fixtures against Crystal Palace and Fulham during the next seven days. On this week's pod, we'll take a look at those upcoming battles in what could see Saints mathematically secure their Premier League survival. We'll also look back at their most recent encounter, the 2-0 loss versus Liverpool, making it 13 defeats in 17 Premier League games. Settled in beside me, not literally, a Steve Glenn and Dan. Evening, chaps. Evening. Good evening. Evening. Glenn, you didn't have much personal news and or activity to report on uh, <laughs> last week, but I know you've been on holiday this week, haven't you? You've been off work, so there must be tons of stuff you can get off your chest and uh, share with the, the avid listeners that I'm sure sit on tentacles every week listening about uh, you know what your updates are. Um, well, I, I hauled my fat carcass around the cricket field on uh, Thursday evening, um, which was the first time I've played for two years, which was as grim as you w- can imagine it was. Um, it, it, yeah, it was it was hard work. Um, we only had nine players as well. So that's, uh, yeah, welcome back to evening league cricket. So that was good. I bowled three overs of loopy rubbish and my yeah. shoulder still hurts now. I thought you were no, not to no, because we had we had a player who's more unfit than me. So um, yeah, three hours of loopy rubbish, and my shoulder still hurts three nice, days later. Nice. So, Whereabouts uh, are you playing? So, 
Uh, that was at the Sports Centre. Alright, cool. At yeah. the, um, the magnificent surroundings of Southampton Sports Centre on <laughs> what, what was a bit of a ploughed field. The 22 yeah. yards was alright, but the outfield was, um, yeah, needing a bit of, uh, tender loving care. But, uh, have all the groundsmen have been furloughed, you know, for the last year or so. So it's, uh, it's not surprising it's not the best. So did that and, uh, my son's team had a decent win this morning. So that was nice. That was a nice positive, uh, football thing for the weekend yeah, so uh, yep yeah, th- them's the highlights and back to work tomorrow and i absolutely can't wait <laughs> um and down another busy week at the athletic of course including pieces on uh, takuni minamino and uh, a lesser spotted wesley hoyt no less yeah, yeah. southampton's left-footed center half that yeah. could save the day next season well he's no <laughs> longer in the lazio 25-man squad is he so yeah no you see i mean it's yeah it's, he's playing himself into someone else's you know, transfer plans, clearly. Yeah, it was, it was just a... I had a conversation with someone um, and then thought, oh, yeah, what is that? What is Wesley Hoot actually up to these days? Um, <laughs> and then did some digging. Turns out he's been fined in Italy. He's yeah. had to apologise to his teammates for making mistakes. So yeah. much, much <laughs> of the same, I think. I don't yeah. think much has changed. Um, oh, hang on. We, might, we might want to edit this out, Dan, just in case we alert other clubs that he's available. <laughs> no, we don't want to do that. Yeah, no, 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 no to self <laughs> no, but yeah. yeah, it was enjoyable when then Minamino was um, another interesting one to kind of look at because minus the, the two goals, it's you wonder what he's actually contributed since since he joined and I don't know, not too much, I don't think. But mm. no, but yeah, interesting stuff and got some more interesting things in the pipeline. So Good, good. It must be a dark day in the office, Dan, when you sit there thinking, I wonder what Wesley Hoyt's up to at the moment. But uh, there we go, yeah. <laughs> I certainly didn't know about the uh, plain video disciplinary incident uh, he had while at Lazio. So uh, yeah, always enjoy reading your pieces, Dan, because I learned something like that. So there we go. And uh, Steve, uh, obviously you're still out in Dubai, keeping your eye on the sort of green and red list and where you can go and how you can get home and all those sort of things in due course. Is that right? Uh, no, no, things have changed. I'm right. currently in Crete. Yeah, my uh, yeah, so my my journey home um, has already started. I'm halfway through a ten day ten day stretch here, with a view to getting back and doing the sort of amber list home uh, home quarantine uh, thing for five days, and then getting test release after the five days and then I'll be able to go to the Leeds game there you go good so that's that's the that's the current plan excellent uh, see how that goes yeah well I've got to say over the last uh, few weeks we've definitely been testing the uh, worldwide uh, wireless and VPN to uh, enable you to join the podcast haven't we so yeah that sounds a uh, 10 day stint in Crete does sound pretty pretty hard work Steve to be honest so yes um, yeah I'm, I'm sure they'll you can be... put yourself through it but... yeah I'm, I'm sure the uh, the violins will be out um, playing <laughs> yes. in the orchestra world's smallest world's smallest <laughs> violin I'm going to report you to the plague hotel you can go and stay there <laughs> oh dear good stuff alright well patrons just uh, to say the TSP patrons Saints goal of the season vote is open now no I'm not joking there are actually some to choose from voting is via the normal patreon.com homepage uh, closing Friday the 14th of May I've managed to pull out six of our favourites to choose from and we'll announce the winner in our final pod of the season which is after West Ham so if you go onto patreon.com homepage you'll find the vote and patrons you can uh, choose your favourite goal of the season right underpinned by those fantastic patrons this is TSP 160 This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour, and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. 
Saints travel to Anfield for Saturday's late kickoff, eventually suffering yet another goalless Premier League defeat by two goals to nil. The fifth Premier League game in a row that we failed to trouble the net at their place. And of course, as Steve mentioned last week, Liverpool's first clean sheet in nine Premier League games. Dan, it was always going to be a tough proposition, even with Liverpool missing quite a few of their own key players. But I find myself, well, not totally unsurprised by the, the pattern of the game and the final score. I was, I was sort of reflecting on it with a sense of if, buts and maybes, really. Because, again, Saints played well in stops and starts. And on another day, might have got something from it. Yeah, I think so. I don't think you can be too too harsh on them. It after I mean, it is Liverpool at the end of the day. They are still the Premier League champions after United won today. So it's... 2-0, probably par for the course. And I think it was a game, when I watched that game, I thought, they missed Danny Ings anyway, but you just knew, had he had one of those opportunities, that it would have ended up in the back of the net. And what was frustrating, I guess, is that they did create so many chances, good chances as well. And if one of those goes in, you know, it's just a completely, it's a completely different game. And when I spoke to Ralph after, I guess one positive you could take is six weeks ago, they weren't creating any chances. Well, at the week on Saturday night, they were. It's just they just didn't have anyone to, to convert them. And I don't think you can single out Shea Adams alone. I think Nathan Teller missed you know, a good opportunity. Nathan Redmond, Theo Walcott, you know, they're all guilty of, of being wasteful in front of goal. But I still think you kind of need to view the game with the fact that it is Liverpool. They are still a very good side, although they've struggled this season. It was never going to be easy going there and getting the win. Southampton put up a decent fight, I thought, played well to to a, to a certain extent, and we just didn't have just didn't have the quality in the final third. And against those teams, you know, Liverpool had. I mean, Fraser Forster, I thought, had a good game. And when Alison Becker is being handed man of the match, I think that kind of just sums it up from Southampton that they did create all these chances. They just didn't have anyone anyone there to convert them. And I, I don't actually think Alisson's saves were all that brilliant. No. I just thought that the shots were fairly tame. He read it. He read the situation well. And it just, it was a game that just lacked Danny Ings from Southampton's point of view. You know, he takes those chances, whereas Shea Adams doesn't. That was the difference on the night. And, I, you know, I've written about Danny Ings for Monday and it's, you know, kind of hinting at the fact that Normally, contract negotiations, are, you know, your hand is strengthened by what you do on the pitch. Well, I think in Danny's case, you know, his his hand is strengthened when the fact he doesn't play, because then it becomes so obvious how, how badly they need him to stay. But yeah, that was my takeaway from the match anyway. Yeah, a bit like Oriol Mayer, as Glenn said the other week, kind of, uh, you realise how good they are when they're not playing, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, Steve, we were kind of just talking before we got started there, and uh, you, you were impressed by the way Saints played as well, bar maybe you know sticking the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, I was. I, th- I thought, I mean, given the, I mean, the stats you you presented just now, was it 13 defeats in 17 or something, yeah, something absolutely yeah. mad. Yeah. It would be easy to go somewhere like Anfield. I mean, I know they've been they've been ropey at home. Uh, this calendar year, but it's they're still they're still a top side, and it's it's still a difficult place to go especially if you're a side that's kind of low on confidence and not getting um, not getting all that all that many results and we went there and we we created chances we we clearly had a clearly had a plan to i mean very much like what we did against Leicester um the week before in that we saw that their their fullbacks obviously want to get forward and attack and basically want to try and play as uh, wide midfielders um so what all we were going to do was um try and get the ball in behind them. And that's kind of been Liverpool's downfall for, for a lot of this season is that 
they've not they don't seem to have even tried to put a stop to that because of the because of the attacking output they get from Alexander Arnold and Robertson going forward. And they kind of think, well, okay, fair enough. We'll we'll just have to we'll just have to be better in attack or kind of push you back and stop the ball coming coming through that way. But no, I, th- I thought we we created opportunities fairly, at fairly regular intervals. I mean, I, I kind of agree that the saves that Allison made weren't out of this world. Although I would say the one that the one from Adams, kind of what a minute or so before the before Mane's goal, that that one I think was the standout one because he reads the situation so quickly and he's kind of on top of Adams and basically just doesn't give him any. There's there's no there's no goal to, for him to aim at. I think the only way Adams can possibly score there is if. He's very fortunate and finds that tiny little gap between his legs. Um, but even then, you're you're kind of having to anticipate where where he's planting his foot and things like that. And it's if if you score in that position, um, like everyone thinks, oh well, he's just he's just stuck it through the keeper's legs. It's it's fairly simple. But actually, the the sort of geometry of that situation is really really difficult. And I think that's just that's that's just a the sign of of a goalkeeper who is kind of a 70 70 odd million pound goalkeeper they make those sort of saves look really easy and yeah i mean obviously the the other chances we created were largely straight at him it's frustrating that diallo's diallo's one he hits it so well um but yeah it was literally straight down straight down his throat and whereas i mean you stick it even a foot either side and he's struggling all of a sudden because of the because of the pace he's hit it at yeah it was it was it was a frustrating night and to concede the two goals in the way that we did that were so relatively straightforward. Um, I mean, Walker Peters, I don't think covered himself in glory on either. On you, both you went a bit Cedric really, on the first but... one. I was thinking that today. We've given Cedric a lot of uh, yeah, grief, a didn't bit. he? But yeah, I thought Forster could have come for it as well, though. I mean, I know we were, uh, you know, I was particularly positive towards Forster. I think it was after the Sheffield United away game, you know, for the way he played over those two or three games. But again, you know, that was kind of his six-yard box. You felt he could have maybe come for that as well, the first one. Yeah, I, th- I think the the way that Forster has developed this season in terms of his reading of the game sweeping up. Um, has come on leaps and bounds, 100%. but I think his, but his problem previously was always the fact that he'd basically be rooted to his line for crosses into the box, and and unfortunately that bit is still kind of prevalent in his game. I think, which I don't mind. I don't mind a goalkeeper who has that kind of attitude, but you need you need to do it with defenders who. Um, know that that's the case are going to defend in a slightly different way therefore they they know the keeper's not coming so therefore it's entirely on them to win the ball and obviously none, none of our defenders got anywhere near it uh yeah, I, I do wonder whether the i mean i've, I've got no particular issue at this sta- at this stage of the season where we're I mean, we are safe regardless of what the maths say um no particular issue with us giving um mccarthy and forster couple of games here and there and then swapping them over to see basically who is going to be most suitable for next season because that's a that just that is a decision that's got to be made and i don't think you're going to make it on the strength of um maybe some pre-season friendlies or or training sessions so but it, it does it does obviously not help the the defenders in front of him when you're two the the two goalkeepers you've got are both so completely different uh, mccarthy would have come for that cross, i'm sure um, whether he'd have got it is another matter, but he'd have certainly come for it. Whereas with Forster, you you knew he wasn't he wasn't going to be coming for it. What bothered me about the goal is is that having not gone for the cross, 
I expected Forster to do a bit of a, you know, the, the Peter Schmeichel yeah. big star shape thing yeah. to try and save the header. But he didn't do that. He kind of just stood there. Mm. And Mane scored with a header from about, ultimately was about four yards. And, all oh right, it would have been a long shot. But he, he didn't seem to make any effort to save it. It was like, I'm not going to come for the cross and I'm not going to make myself as big as possible either. I mean, it, you, you can't really tell from, from watching it on TV that there may have been no way he was going to save it, but he, he just seemed to give up on it a little bit. It, it was something, there's something odd about that goal that I can't quite put my finger on with regarding, with regarding Forster. I mean, could Vestergaard have cleared it? It didn't mm. seem to be very high over his head either. Yeah, stop the cross uh, coming in. I mean, as you say, they, there was yeah, numerous scenes. Yep. Yeah, they highlighted on Sky that Walker Peters kind of got bumped out of the way by Jota and then didn't get back goal side behind, you know, behind Mane. So that, that was one factor in it. But yeah, I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think Forster will, you know, and the goalkeeping coach, when they look back at that goal, you know, I think there'll be a few things they'll be uh, they'll be talking about. Put it that way. Yeah. What did you make of the game other, otherwise, Glenn? Uh, I, I think, as the Kaiser said, that sort of not for the first time in 2021, the kind of frustration at the the lack of cutting edge and that belief up front. Really, I don't mean yeah. just the strikers. I mean in terms of the attacking third. Yeah, we 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 played some decent stuff through Liverpool's midfield. Liverpool weren't that great, I didn't think, but, but like it, with the it kind of felt like they were in second gear though as well. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. You know, they got the they got the two sort of like championship guys if you like at centre back and we weren't good enough to take advantage of that so you know we did pull them around a bit and we did create chances but at the end of the day you can't go to Liverpool and pass up chances like we did you know clear chances um, and it was you know it's Che Adams this week but it, it's been other players other weeks um, you can't pass up clear chances like that and expect to come away from Anfield with anything other than a defeat I thought you know we praised Ralph's sort of game management and substitutes and whatnot last week against Leicester when he when he tried to keep things, you know, as as per the game plan, I was a bit bit mystified. You know, we ended up the game with ended up in the last sort of 20 minutes chasing the game. Our front four players were Diallo on one wing, and he's never scored a goal. We had Redmond on the other wing, who by that time was in full steam backwards mode. He was he was taking on Trent at the start of the game. Um, you know that Trent's defensive weaknesses have been highlighted a lot. You know, on Sky about his lack of foot movement and all that. And Redmond took him on to start with and then stopped. So he was still playing on the left wing. And up front, we had Gineppo, who's never played up front and hasn't looked like he's, you know, even been remotely useful for the last couple of months. And Obafemi playing his first game for a year. So I had no confidence in any of those four finding a finding a goal for us at the end. So I, I, I'm just a bit confused as to what Ralph was doing with the subs well, and the, yeah, and the I mean, jigging. We... Yeah, I mean, we've spoken, haven't we, the last couple of pods about maybe him trying a few things and, you know, I know Dan was talking about Salasu and left-back options, things like that. I mean, maybe that's what he's thinking, you know, trying Gineppo as a, a strike. I mean, I'm, you know, thinking outside the box here. He may just have whacked him up there to chaos factor, as we've spoken about before, but maybe he is thinking, look, is that someone potentially over the next few games I could try him up front and see what he does? We'll find out, I suppose. Yeah, I, I guess so. But, I mean, you know, but it was only 1-0. And that, that's that's why I'm, you know, what did Obafemi do to to you know what's what's he done to sort of jump jump the queue for coming on as one of the strikers sort of thing i thought and looked okay the couple of minutes that he's he's played over femi did all right but it's you know it's five minutes ten minutes and you know can they do it more often just yeah the the cut the lack of cutting edge i mean we we've got so many players who do it in flashes um i'm thinking walcott redmond minamino you mentioned gineppo they're all one good thing occasionally. 
and and until we can f- find more, and Che Adams is in that category as well. And you know, until we can find a more reliable player when Danny Ings isn't there we're always going to struggle yeah Dan I feel like I'm going from relative positive straight down to the bottom end of the scale here but uh, that's now eight points out of 51 available for Saints I think uh, quite a few people have been posting that over social media and uh, such like they are well and truly bottom of the 2021 table as I mentioned in the intro 13 defeats in 17 Premier League games scored 15 conceded 42 now um you know even for us we do try our best on this podcast to paint a positive picture don't we but it's hard to put any shine on that really yeah it's relegation form it's it's as simple as that had Southampton not had such a minus the two opening game such a a good run they would they'd be in the thick of it if not already down it's been that bad when you think I saw your tweet earlier when you look at Fulham yeah. Sheffield and West Brom have all picked up more points. Yeah, so just on that then, so Brighton 23 points, um, Newcastle 20 points, Burnley 19 points, uh, West Brom 18 points, Fulham 14 points, even Sheffield United 15 points, double what we've got during that time. And you think six of those eight points that you pointed out came against Burnley and Sheffield? So yeah, it, it, there's no other way to describe it other than relegation form. And if they don't, you know, if they start next season in this in the same vein, then they are going to be in the thick of it. Throughout, basically, aren't they? They're going to be absolutely buggered. There's only, only only so many times you can be, you know, the fourth worst team, the fifth worst team in the Premier League before eventually you get caught out. Um, it happened to, I think, Wigan. They they always seem to avoid it, didn't they? And then eventually they went down. And I'm, I'm not being too tomb and gloom. I don't think Southampton will go down next year. But if they carry on the way they're playing, well, they well, certainly will be there or thereabouts. Yeah, we'll be it next year. We'll be next year. Shit in the 90s, United. wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just think. It is alarming because if it was just four or five weeks, then you'd think, okay, fine, they had a blip. But it's gone way beyond a blip, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. If you think compare it to last year on the 2020 form table, they were fourth, fifth, maybe around. I think, and there was like second for away form, wasn't it, or something ridiculous? Yeah. Yeah. Well, now they're, as you say, rock bottom, and you know, sinking without a paddle. Basically, it doesn't look good, does it? That. Exactly. exactly and, and Dan's right Glenn I mean we don't want to be too doom and gloom but it's being realistic here as well and you, and you can't polish a turd can you but ultimately uh, it does seem very Saints Glenn doesn't it I mean we had such a fantastic opening part of this season and, and you know realistically given the way form's going given the way we're performing the other teams around us plus the fixtures we got to come I mean Saints look like they're going to finish 17th now probably and that feels really disappointing yeah 17th stop the count remember <laughs> that when we were first I mean I think Personally, that the it's the the poor squad that we've got coming home to roost to to a certain degree. We've we've got a lot of players who I don't think are adding a great deal. You know, we've got numerous numerous areas of the team where we don't have an alternative if people are injured. You know, left back is the one at the moment. We've had issues at right back. We've had issues with Romeo and Ennings. We haven't got really alternatives for any of those any of those players. So I I think it's you know I think we someone at the club misread the whole this season about what it was going to be like with regards to the amount of uh, effort it was going to take in a in a condensed season like this yeah and ultimately it, w- it will be disappointing but to be honest I've stopped caring apart from the fact that it gives us less money for the summer when we, we need to have as much money as possible whether we finish 17th 15th 14th I don't, I don't really care yeah. I just want it done yeah I think you know, like I, I, I just want it done and you know Steve's quite rightly said earlier that we're not going to go down, but I still just want it done. I want Fulham <laughs> to lose on Monday, whenever it is they're yep, playing. Monday night, yeah. West, West Brom to lose 
now, and th- and then we which can all... they are. Which they are. That's Hooray, good. So we've got we... some good news. No, Yay, there you go. There's a positive. So uh, our positives are other teams are crap as well. So um, yeah, yeah I, I just I just want it done, and I I don't I just want to watch these uh, last three games, four games, whatever it is we've got with uh, with a degree of okay. I don't really care whether we. Uh, it doesn't really make a huge difference, whatever the result is. Yeah, and and Steve, the other thing, and there's a bit of waffle here, so apologies. I was uh, downloading all this while I was writing my notes this morning, but well, while I was kind of sat there watching that, that particularly the second half last night, thinking, you know, we could play until the next UK Bank holiday, and we're probably not going to score here. Was um, it's been muted again this week, hasn't it, about that wanting to compete in the the seventh to twelfth um, section of the Premier League, which we know is very much the case. And as fans, you know, I think that's where we want to be. But I suppose forgetting about takeovers or playbooks or the B team progress, I was I was kind of sat there thinking, you know, we continue to look toothless whenever Ings isn't playing, as Dan's mentioned earlier on. So if he does go in the summer, let's say if he doesn't, you know, that's obviously going to be concerning. We've three or four wingers not really contributing much outside one or five, one and six games, as Glenn's sort of spoken about. Um, Stuart Armstrong's obviously moved into the central midfield and has kind of taken away his creative ability and you know we'll come on to it in a bit but hopefully Romeo's return maybe will sort that one out in defence we don't really know what's going to happen with Vestergaard you know will he still go in the summer Bertrand looks to be off so we don't have a, a ready-made left back and that's obviously going to be a very important factor we've conceded 61 goals this season second only to West Brom and Sheffield United we have no leader leaders in inverted commas I know again Dan's spoken before about Prassi leading by example on the pitch but I'm talking proper leader leaders organisers that sort of thing the two goalkeepers you know well solid on their day haven't looked like uh, necessarily holding down the number one shirt as we've spoken about and you know while the likes of Salasu and Teller I think excite us and you know we, we all know what we're going to get from James Ward-Prowse and things like that it does feel like there's so much work to do this summer and beyond to get anywhere near that 7th to 12th bracket again um, I think it yeah I mean I, th- I think there's there's obviously a lot of work that's that's going to need to go in from a recruitment perspective um, we don't really know what the market's going to look like in terms of prices whether there's going to be any sort of equalization if you like in terms of like prices that have gone mad in in previous years and perhaps because nobody's got any money but there is a full um full summer for people to actually do proper evaluations whether fees might start coming down a little bit i mean who knows i mean you'd like to think that wages will start to come down because i mean judging by our wage bill we're still paying way over the odds for this lot um given the output we're getting so it's yeah i mean it's it's so it's not going to be easy and and the people who are in situ at the moment both from a coaching perspective and at board level they've got a job on their hands but it's not i don't think it's quite as much of a sort of clear cut sort of oh this is an absolute shambles no no, no. um situation i it just think feels it's like it's not more... one problem to fix is it there's numerous ones no. that yeah no it's definitely not but then most of these problems are problems that have been generated at some point in the last four to five years and chickens are kind of coming home to roost to a certain extent with some of that in terms of squad depth not just in terms of numbers but in terms of quality because we've ended up paying off players to leave and therefore we've i mean let's face it we're still kind of paying for the fact that Danny osvaldo came i mean that that deal probably cost us in the region of 30 to 40 million pounds in total when you when you think about the the transfer and and all his wages and the fact that we paid up most of his contract by the sounds of it and 
I mean, that's that sort of sum is is the sort of sum that can cripple a club of our size. And the fact that we're still kind of keeping our head above water at the moment is is kind of, I guess, is probably a positive, a, a sort of slightly extreme positive to to take from that. But it's, well, it's and, the, and a loan from MSD. Yeah, I mean that that all, that always helps, of course, at uh, what nine and a half percent APR or whatever it is. Yeah, here's, have have your payday loan, guys. But it's. Yeah, I mean we've we're in a financial situation where I mean let's let's be honest we're not we're almost certainly not the only Premier League club in a similar situation. Um, you look you look through the um, through the league and there are there are teams that you just think well okay everybody is capable of going on these little runs where they get their act in order and and get put a few string a few results together and see themselves in absolutely no harm whatsoever. But everybody is also for the large part has been pretty mediocre I think. Um, whether whether that is because of the condensed season, loads of players getting injured because of that, because they're being flogged to death by the schedule. I mean, we're not going to know that know the answer to that until probably this time next year, when everything is kind of vaguely back to something approaching normality. If we're if we're in a situation in um, at the end of January 2022 where we've got 12 first team players out injured at the same time, then all of a sudden there's there's kind of probably deeper questions to ask but hopefully under normal circumstances we can have people do do their proper jobs and there's there's no real barrier to to us doing what we plan to do whereas obviously at the moment I mean Ralph's had to change by the sound of it and by the looks of it we've changed our game plan to an extent because we're not as energetic as we were in project restart for example which is mad given given how hot it was that summer and yet we were able to put in probably 75 80 minutes of full sort of full throttle um football whereas now we're lucky if we get to the hour mark and yeah i mean it's 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 been a it's been a really disappointing second half of this season um i don't think i don't think there's any two ways about it and there's i don't think anybody's going to be trying to and making excuses is kind of probably the wrong the wrong wrong way to describe it but i don't think anybody's going to be denying um the fact that it's that it's been largely crap but there are just there are so many extenuating circumstances that and you and it's difficult to apportion kind of well how how much of a certain situation is because because of various injuries and the schedule and referees being John Moss and 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 all all this all this sort of stuff that is that has just absolutely piled on for us all um all year since um since that Liverpool game and it's like well maybe just this summer is just complete reset and everything will be fine in august i mean obviously we'll we'll lose the first game because we because that always happens but but from but from there yeah maybe who knows yeah dan i feels like a bit of a tennis match so i'm going to hit a backhand from the pessimistic end up to the positive end just to finish on the liverpool game uh, glenn mentioned earlier but one positive was it it was at least good to see michael obafemi back on the pitch yeah yeah it's good to see him back i i, I do wonder is he really the answer bearing in mind ralph sanctioned a move for him to join Swansea I didn't have any other positives Dan so if you can think of anything we can just (laughs) no of course that is Ralph Ralph has spoken relatively highly of Michael in recent weeks compared to what he normally says about him and has been impressed by how he's trained and how he's applied himself and I think the way he described it 
I think Michael's maybe seen this injury as a wake up call that he maybe needed. If you don't kind of sort sort your life out off the pitch in terms of being professional all the time, then yeah, it can be a very short career. Um, well, that, that was, that's all, that's always been perceived as being his problem, hasn't it? It's not necessarily that that he's not that he's definitely not good enough. Because some of the performances he's he's put in, albeit largely in little sort of fits and starts, has been quite promising. He's, but, definitely, got, he's definitely got something about him. Yeah, you know, he's got a goal. You just in hear, him, hear all yeah. these hear all these stories of of off off field stuff and seeing him out in town on on the and things like this. It's like, come on, lads, you're a, you're a you're a young professional footballer looking to make it at the high at the highest level, and that's that sort of conduct isn't isn't good enough. It's not going to stand up to scrutiny. But yeah, he did. I mean, I thought he did. I thought he did well in his ten minutes, but you know, it's just it is just ten minutes. I mean, the guy has never strung together, as far as I know, two decent games in a row. You know, there's been games in the past where he's played well, and then in the next game he's been picked and he's been taken off at half time because he's either been injured or, or rubbish or both. So, you know, just 10 minutes. It's good to have him. It's good to have him back. And hopefully the penny has dropped, as, as Dan said. But I, I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath. There's a long way to go. As I said earlier on, we've got a lot of players who do it in flashes. It's about finding players who can do it consistently and, you know, give seven and eight out of 10 performances all the time, not a seven one week and then, be absolute crap the next week and, uh, and you know Michael Michael's got a chance if he applies himself because there is some ability in there definitely Hi I'm Ricky Lambert and you are listening to Total Saints Podcast Saints face two home matches this coming week, both against London sides. Fulham travel to St Mary's next Saturday, but ahead of that, Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace side will be in town. Dan, let's start with Palace. It feels like an awfully long time since we played them on the opening day of the season, that disappointing 1-0 loss. What are you expecting from this reverse fixture? Blimey. More of the same. Yeah, more of the same, I think. Um, no, I, I don't know. It's, it's so difficult to... I think at the stage of the season where, as the guys have already mentioned, Southampton are are safe. It's what I think what you want to try and get out of these games should be with pretty much two eyes on 2021-22, if I'm being honest. I, I don't, you know, minus the extra couple of million quid you can get for each position, there's not a lot else to play for. So I think for Ralph, he should be using these remaining games to experiment a little bit more. Um, maybe try some different combinations. If Yannick Vestergaard's got a question mark over his future, play Salasu. See how you know. Give him run. Give him a run of games. Maybe, maybe try Bird. a goal scoring con- you know partnership. See if that'll work. Yeah, but you, you may as well. I mean, what have you what have you essentially got to lose? The worst that's going to happen is you finish 17th. And I think, as, as you've mentioned, you think that that's the way they're kind of headed at the moment. So why not try try something different? Be bold. Be just with, with next next season in mind, mm-hmm. um, that's what yeah. I'd be doing. Agreed. Thinking, well, if Yannick doesn't, if Yannick, you know, is possibly exploring the idea of going to a bigger team or wants to leave or maybe doesn't, you know, hasn't necessarily signed a contract or whatever, then what do you gain from playing him at this stage of the season? I don't really know. I personally don't know. You know, Salasu is always mentioned as the future. Well, make him the present. <laughs> I thought he did really well against Leicester when he came I've on. I've been really excited was, by him. You know, Martin yeah, gave him a big build-up, didn't he? And yeah, yeah. yeah, I was somewhat surprised that he didn't actually start against 
Liverpool. Uh, I thought he played that well against Leicester. He deserved to start. Yeah, Jack Stevens, let him carry on proving himself. It's a good opportunity for him. So yeah, that's what I'd be doing for the Crystal Palace game in terms of the result. Given Salem's recent history, it might not be a positive one, but as long as they keep, you know, if Ralph can see that, if Ralph can continue to to work out the players who are kind of that horrible cliche playing for the the badge and all of that nonsense, you know, stick with them and the ones that, you know, maybe have one eye on the exit door, just leave them out and just focus on the, the squad that's going to be here at the start in, in August. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, whilst he may not be. Uh world-class defender Jack Stevens always uh, admire him for the fact that he clearly looks like he cares so uh, people like that I think uh, wearing the shirts we, what we want to see and uh, Glenn Palace have never really looked in any danger of going down they're in uh, 13th position at time of recording and now mathematically safe what have you made of them this season another sort of typical slash solid effort from them really yeah they're they're a mirror of their manager aren't they they've, they've got a couple of flair players in Zaha and Eze though it's interesting watching Zaha he seems to have gone off a cliff a little bit this year he's um he's, he doesn't seem to be sort of beating players as easily as he was before um you sort of wonder where where his motivation is at bearing in mind it's sort of been common knowledge he's been trying to get away from Palace for about three or four years now and uh, he's he's stuck having signed this ridiculous contract which has got him a lot of money but stuffed his career up with regards to uh, um getting a transfer it'll be interesting to see if he goes anywhere in the summer as I had a really good start to the season tailed off a bit but they're, they're not the most exciting of teams are they yeah they do they they're kind of and it's kind of depressing that they're 13th and safe and and we're kind of mathematically not yet the fact that we're below teams like them below Brighton below Newcastle is is not great because n- none of those sides are particularly great. Um, I said they've got Ben Teke playing again at the moment. Um, who's he was obviously the next yeah, he was the the next greatest thing along with Lukaku a few years ago, wasn't he? But he's um, he's <laughs> he's he's gone off a cliff, but he's back in the side now. Um, he's always been one know. of those players that makes the easy things look hard and the hard things look easy. That's the way I've always thought about Ben Teke. Yeah, he's he, he's a he's a strange strange lad, but uh, you know we Good should. We should be able to handle him um, with with the you know with the centre half pairing that we normally play, or or with Salah. So I wouldn't fancy Jack Stevens up against him. I have to say, I think he would get bullied all over the place. Um, this is probably Roy Hodgson's last season, and you know, and apparently they've got a load of players out of contract as well. So it's a it's a big summer for for Palace as well. So maybe there'll be a few of them sort of like playing for the future, or maybe a few regulars left out now that they're completely safe. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean. All possibilities. I think it probably points to a boring nil-nil draw. <laughs> um, it, w- it wouldn't surprise me if that if that was the case, to be honest. Yeah. And ahead of beating Sheffield United uh, at the weekend, Steve Palace had lost three in a row. I think we probably all remember. I think it was eight in a row they lost at the end of last season, was it, or something like that? So. We, we know they do have this sort of recent record of maybe switching off a little bit when they're on the beach. Ironic coming from Southampton fans, I know. But uh, what do you kind of uh, think? Is it a good time to get them or do you think you'll still be up for a battle? Um, it's kind of difficult to say. I mean, obviously, I mean, Hodgson hasn't confirmed what what his plans are going forwards. The, the club haven't confirmed whether they've got plans either way for him, which which kind of makes the players minds possibly wander a little bit and think well am i i don't know if i'm going to be here i don't know if my boss is going to be here in july um so it just it just breeds a lot of uncertainty doesn't it and i mean as you say they've got they've got a lot of players out out of contract in the summer but their two best players aren't among them who are obviously the two that that glenn mentioned and they're they're the ones that obviously we'll we'll be watching out for i assume war prowse will be uh 
playing at right back to um, uh, to go up against Zaha because I mean let, let's let's face it that's the uh, that's the weird the weird beef uh, in the Premier League that we're all signed up for, isn't it? But yeah, I, Palace Palace have been quite a dreary team to watch for probably a year and a half or so now. And I mean, as much as as much as I like Roy Hodgson and kind of admire sort of everything he's achieved over his uh, over his long and fairly illustrious career, part of it is because of his insistence on playing 47 defensive midfielders. And if Palace do that against us, then I actually think that that gives us gives us a, a strong opportunity to win because if if they haven't got players who are pressing us. Then all of a sudden we've got um, we've got a little bit of time to think about what we want to do. Although obviously if they defend deep, then we've got no space in uh, in behind in which to do it. So uh, yeah, I mean that nil nil is looking uh, looking uh, increasingly tempting, isn't it? I mean probably uh, probably an eight to one shot I would imagine with the bookies, but in terms of in terms of value, that's probably that's probably pretty good value at the moment. Yeah, well we've not beaten the Eagles at home since the 5th of April 2017 under Claude Puel when uh, Nathan Redmond, Yoshida and uh, Prowse scored incredibly, we scored three home goals under Claude Puel in that game, incredible really but uh, you feel we owe them one since then just uh, finally before we do our predictions Dan, we're all keeping our fingers crossed, of course the press conference before Liverpool um, Ralph did relay some relatively positive news that there's a chance Danny Ings and or Ori Romeo could be available for this game. Yeah, there's a positive for you, you if you're we're scratching at the barrel. But no, yep. that's, I mean that, that is that is a genuine positive that I think Oriol may be ahead of schedule, which is you know probably pays into the fact that you know he's a kind of warrior narrative around him and he's just a, a gr- an all-round great guy. So yeah, the fact that he's if he is going to make it back before the end of the season, then yeah, absolutely fantastic. And likewise for Danny, you you want your best players on the pitch. Um, and you know, I think those two, in their absence, have kind of highlighted just how important they are. That we, we, I think we already knew how important they were, but it's just been shown up again. So yeah, if they're on the pitch, absolutely fantastic. Um, but I still think if if there's even the slightest risk, I still don't personally see the point in in rushing them back. But it doesn't sound like that's the case. So. All right, well, let's do some predictions. The one positive of Thiago's first ever Liverpool goal was that, of course, it was uh, 2-0 to Liverpool in the end, which was what I went for on the, the pod last week. So that's uh, moved me in second place now. Glenn's on 25, I'm on 17, Dan's on 15, Steve's on 10. So there's still a chance anyone could win if they have a good run of four games here. Um, but uh, I'm going to start because then uh, it can hopefully go uh, positive from there. So I'm going to go for an ugly 0-1 Palace win because, uh, of course, that's what's <laughs> going to happen. Uh, I, I feel there's a range of 0-0s coming on here. But, uh, Glenn, let's start with you. Um, I'll go one. I'll go one nil for Saints. One nil win. Good man. All right, Dan. I'll go a boring nil nil draw. Nil nil draw. All right. So that probably means you can't go for that then. I mean, you can if you want to, Steve. But I know what you're like. You normally change. So. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no benefit in terms of the 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 league table, is there? If I pick the same score as somebody else. Um. Yeah, I'll go for the Maverick. Uh, Maverick pick of a of a uh, weirdly entertaining two all draw. All draw, great. I think you went for that Liverpool, didn't you, as well? So uh, there we go. All right. And moving on to the Fulham game then, which will be Saints' penultimate home fixture of the season. Fulham's match with Burnley won't happen till after the pod has been released this weekend, as it's Monday night, which Glenn mentioned earlier. But uh, Steve, a season that has been sort of fairly mixed for them, a, a poor start, a decent sort of run towards Christmas, and the the new year, which uh, I suppose sort of since then, despite playing well, as we found out earlier, they haven't really picked up a lot of points. So uh, so it kind of looks like they're championship bound, subject to the uh, dot on the i's and crossing the t's yeah i mean there's there's quite a lot of teams who seem to incredible ability to play quite play quite well in a lot of games 
and yet find impressively um, varying ways to lose them. Hello. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, exa- exactly. Um, I mean, I mean, look at look at some look at some of our results some of our results this season uh, in games where we played well. Look at Brighton. Brighton have Brighton have been by by a lot of statistics have been a very a very very good team this season. Like I think that like the the XG table has them like sixth or seventh or something. I, still, I don't think I will XG Claxon. <laughs> XG Claxon. I don't think I will for for years get over that West Brom away game where they literally batter West Brom, missed two penalties, and lost the it's game one nil. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the yeah. There, there's been there've been loads of those games. Brighton. I mean that was the culmination of a run of those games for Brighton where it looked like they were in the proper deep proper deep stuff at that point because I don't think West Brom had won a game for about two months at that point either and yeah Fulham are, an- are another of these sides they they had a dreadful start where they actually played badly and then they made they basically did exactly the same as what they did last time they were up and they signed loads of players on deadline day threw them all in and eventually um, they managed to mould something out of them to get some get some performances, but they've still only won five games all season, um, scoring 25 goals in 34 games. So that's the end of the day. They're going down for a very good reason, and that is that they're that they're nowhere near good enough. They can they can compete for spells in games, even against the good teams, but. If you haven't got someone who's going to score the goals, and if you haven't got defenders who are able to keep them out the other end, because um, I think their goalkeeper Ariola's generally been pretty good, but it's it's the guy, it's the guys immediately in front of him that have been dreadful um, for the most part. And yeah, I mean they they're going straight back down, where no doubt they'll be in and around the the top six next season because the the financial situation in in the country now is making seems to be seems to even be making it the case where at least two of the three teams going down are coming straight back up. The Norwich have done it relatively easily and there's and obviously Bournemouth are, are in the playoffs so have have got a got a shout of being the making it the first time ever that all three come straight back up. So Fulham and I mean West Brom as well won't won't be I mean, obviously they'll be disappointed to get to get relegated. Of course they would, but they're not going to be concerned for their for their futures. Um, Sheffield United's a slightly different um, case, I think, but those those two will will almost certainly be there or thereabouts next season. And but they're, they're just they're they're just not good enough at this level. Yeah. Dan, we've spoken about Wesley Hoyt tonight. We've spoken about Cedric. If I quickly chuck in Guido career, then I can talk to you about Glenn's favourite midfielder, Mario Lamina. Uh, hashtag tonic like Lamina aid. Um, He's obviously been on loan with Scott Parker's side this season. What have you made of him when you've seen him play, Dan? And more importantly, where do you think the sort of scenario with him and Fulham and Saints will end up this summer? How do you think that's going to play out now? Well, I think if there are any non-Southampton scouts listening to this, I think Mario's had an absolutely superb season. <laughs> uh, how on earth he's in a team that's in the bottom three, I don't know. Um, I think Scott Parker's been lucky to have him in the starting 11 at times. Uh, you know, we saw just that fantastic goal he scored against Liverpool and you know the, the positive vibes he brings around the place we saw him Raw when he the pitch when he yeah. the, the tears you know yeah. how much it means to him to, to play in the Premier League and it's just a crying shame if you excuse the pun that he <laughs> will be you know going down with Fulham because he, he doesn't deserve that he really should be in the heart of that Man City midfield but <laughs> it's yeah it's just a shame but in, I, I, when when I put it like that yeah great he's coming back to Southampton in the summer um 
let's all celebrate. No, I, 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 don't, I genuinely don't know. I think he's actually done okay this season from what I have seen of him, um, and I haven't seen too much. So I think from, from yeah, from the small from the small amount of footage I've seen of him, I think he's actually done okay. And the fact he's playing in the Premier League when you think where Hoot's not even like, getting on the bench in Italy anymore, I think that in terms of selling Lamina, you might think that may be easier. Now, obviously, Fulham did have an option to buy had they stayed up. Oh, not an option. I think they had the obligation, um, although that still depended on Mario agreeing personal terms, which kind of throw, can throw them deals off the rails anyway. So if they go down there, they're not going to have to buy him. They may make an offer. They may not. He may you know, think he wants to stay in the Premier League or try his luck elsewhere. So you'd like to think that you know, he's done enough this season to, to generate enough interest. But again, it's you're looking at the investment Southampton put into him and they're just not going to get anywhere near that back. You're, you're looking at, I don't know, I mean, what what do you take for Mario Lamina at the moment? Two million, three million? You I reckon mean, and that lay? Two, two footballs. Well, <laughs> two footballs on the track. So. Well, again, for Quite, the non Southampton. Yeah. Scouts. I mean, if you put in 15, 20 million, you'd get, you'd be getting a bargain. You know, his output has just been incredible. Um, but yeah, I think that's what you're kind of dealing with, isn't it? It's well, he's only got a year left on his contract, exactly. hasn't he? So um, it's, it's just I, think, I think I think if you can, if you can get four four or five million, then you're kind of laughing, really. Yeah, I think so. I think so. What you don't want is to to have the situation at the end of this summer, which they had with Sofian and Guido, where you end up just paying off the contract. Um, I can see. I'd, I'd like to think it won't happen. I think there is a little bit of interest in Wesley, but I can see it happening more with him than someone like Mario. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see on, on how that goes. He'll be dusting off that video reel of his favourite moments with someone Nathan Redmond's chucked well, in as well, and he that's uh, my impassioned speech to it now. Well. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, honestly, if he doesn't have a, a representative at the moment, then he's just found one. So uh, exactly. good work there, Dan. Um, and Glenn, we spoke in the last two or three pods, haven't we, about Saints trying to create some positive momentum heading into next season if where possible with that in mind and uh, I certainly don't want to use must win but uh, yeah um, that in mind and, and pending the Palace result how important is it for Saints to, to win against Fulham well it's a, it's a game that you've got to win you know Fulham, Fulham at home it, it would create a little bit of uh, positivity around the place if we can sort of put ideally both Palace and Fulham away it, it will you know it, it will make things seem a little bit better for everybody to sort of like see us well over the 40 point mark so I, th- I have a feeling that the the Palace game will probably feed into the Fulham game you know we'll either win both or neither Fulham I, I mean every time I think of Fulham this year I go back to the game that we played up there when in in a in a very large catalogue I think it was quite possibly the worst VAR decision that we didn't get the handball when Bertrand's crossed the guy was literally running back stuck his arm out deflected the ball um, and we didn't get a penalty uh, that's that that one sticks in sticks in mind as being one of the worst for some reason yeah. um, well there's quite uh, a few yeah. to choose from but yeah yeah there are there <laughs> are but um, I, yeah Fulham they, they, I mean Scott I noticed that Scott Parker's beginning to sort of get a bit of flack about the fact that he should have done better with the, with the players that he had available. And that's that's not really been the narrative throughout the season. It's been, you know, quite positive about Scott Parker because he wears a nice suit and he's pre- he's presentable. But, um, you yeah, know, people are beginning to call it out a little bit now that he, that he should have done better but um, with the players he's got. I like the look of their, one of their centre-halves I quite like, actually, Joachim Anderson. I know he's, he's not theirs. I know he's on loan. There's, a, but he, there's, he's, a, um, there's an Aldevero-type situation going to happen there where um, he's going to end up somewhere good because... Whoever whoever ends up getting him for for not much money has has had a basically try before you buy scenario. Yeah, he looks like the sort of leader we could do. 
Yeah, we could do with him if Vestergaard well. goes, to be honest. I, you know, that's what I was getting at. But, but the other, other thing Steve said, which I think is very relevant with regard regards to Scott Parker, their forward line or their choice of strikers this year is Madger, Cavalero, Mitrovic. Um, it's an interesting pointer for us. You know, you can play as much decent football as you like, but if, if the strikers are poor, then you're going to struggle. And none, none of those three have proven to be your main striker has got to be scoring between 10 and 15 goals a season. And those three even added together, I reckon they've probably only scored about five or six. So, you know, they, they, they haven't got much out front. So again, this is looking like another nil nil draw. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dan, final word to you then. By the time Fulham arrive at St. Mary's next Saturday, they'll be almost certainly relegated. Their tails will be between their legs. Their lone players will be thinking about where they'll be playing next season. Saints will smell blood. Ings and Romeo will be back and it will be a vintage home win to warm things up ahead of fans returning to St. Mary's. Tell us it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yes. Get it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's, you know, you've written it and now we're going to see it come to life this week. So, yeah, I can't add any more to it than that. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure. Not sure whether that's a more or less plausible uh, storyline than the the ending of Line of Duty, to be honest. Do you reckon? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, again, if anyone's listening from the Line of Duty and they're writing a seventh series and they want me to be involved, then uh, let me know. But uh, Dan, what you can do is end with a thoroughly positive prediction for that game then. 1-0 Southampton. <laughs> Don't overdo it, Dan. God. <laughs> um, Steve, what do you reckon? I think we'll win. Yeah, 2-0. 2-0, all right. Glenn? Um, I'll take a 2-1 win in that game. All right. Well, I bear in mind, I've got here, I'm going to be positive and write down, I write down 2-1 win for us, but obviously I can't go for that because I need to catch you. So I'm going to go for... Dan's got one there. I'm going to go. Oh, I'm going to go for three-one then. But I've no idea where we're going to get three goals from. But uh, there you go. I'm going to go for a three-one Saints win. So that will probably be the final nail in the coffin. This is the Total Saints podcast, proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. Thanks for listening to this episode of TSP. Hopefully you've found it an enjoyable and or interesting listen. Thanks to Steve, Glenn and Dan as well. We'll be back next weekend for the penultimate pod of the season, looking ahead to yet another two matches with Leeds and West Ham United, including, as I mentioned, the impending return of fans. That's on the assumption I make it through Friday's first COVID injection, of course. I didn't realise they'd get to the 18 to 21 category so quickly. <clears throat> anyway, let's hope there is at least one win to talk about in that pod. Oh, and like you thought we'd forget, nice one, Akron's and Stan. Nice one. Catch you all on TSP 161. Keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.